This is the Notorious Bakersfield Podcast. I'm Robert Peterson, the host and creator of this podcast that takes a look back at some of Bakersfield's most notorious crimes, events, and characters. Welcome to the 38th episode. Before getting started, I need to congratulate Elvis Barber on winning the Notorious Bakersfield drawing for two one-day passes to this year's March meet. These passes were generously provided by Famoso Dragstrip. The correct answer to the March meet trivia question was Lucille Lee. Shirley Muldowney won the 1981 March meet and returned in 1982 to, to, to defend that championship. In, in that 1982 race, Shirley Muldowney went head-to-head with Lucille Lee, the first time in drag racing history, two women competing against each other in a top fuel final. And Lucille Lee won. In a post-race interview, Lucille Lee said, quote, I didn't beat Shirley Muldowney today. My car just ran better than hers. Lucille Lee was the correct answer. Congratulations to Elvis Barber for answering that question correctly and winning the drawing. Enjoy the March meet this weekend. And thanks to the Famosa Drag Strip for providing those passes. The story you're going to hear on this episode, I had totally forgotten about until a listener who is a former law enforcement officer in Bakersfield reminded me. In the late 1980s in Bakersfield, there was a serial rapist who targeted women who were alone in grocery store parking lots. I remember when these assaults were happening because I worked in the grocery business during this time. And I remember how fearful women were to shop after dark. But for some reason, I'd forgotten about this until just a couple of weeks ago when this former police officer jarred my memory. This is the story of the supermarket rapist. On the night of March 17, 1987, St. Patrick's Day, a 43-year-old woman by herself was abducted from the Vaughn's grocery store parking lot at Niles and Fairfax. At knife point, the assailant made her drive to a remote location. Investigators believe this woman was the first victim of the man who would later become, or become known as, the supermarket rapist, and this woman was lucky compared to the later victims. This first victim fought back. She screamed and hollered and kicked and somehow was able to stab the rapist or the would-be rapist. By fighting back, she was able to foil his sexual assault. That was March 17, 1987. Then, on June 11, 1988, 15 months later, a 29-year-old female, alone in the parking lot of the Vaughns at 3400 Stein Road, was kidnapped at knife point, made to drive to a remote location where she was raped. After the assault, the rapist stole her car, 
Police later found the vehicle on at South Tulare and 10th Street. Two days later, about 9 p.m., June 13, 1988, a 24-year-old female was kidnapped from the Safeway on Oswell by the 178 Freeway. She, too, was taken to a remote location and sexually assaulted. She was left at the scene when the attacker stole her vehicle. It was later recovered. Then, on July 5, 1988, a 31-year-old female was kidnapped from the Giant Supermarket at 3737 Rosedale Highway. The Giant was located in the shopping center where John's Incredible Pizza is currently located. She was taken to a remote location, raped, left at the scene when the assailant stole her car. All of these assaults were similar in nature and law enforcement recognized, as I'm probably sure you do, the pattern. All occurred after dark, all originated in supermarket parking lots. The attacker brandished a knife, made the victim drive to a remote location where he sexually assaulted them and left them at the scene. And all the victims gave a similar description of the assailant, a Hispanic male with a slim to medium build, about 25 years old, about six feet tall, a thin mustache. He wore a dark-colored baseball cap and Nike high-top tennis shoes that were called Big Nike, or the Big Nike. With the victim's cooperation, investigators were able to compile a sketch of the attacker, and the Bakersfield Police Department notified the media that there was a suspected serial rapist at targeting lone female shopping at grocery stores. And that's how he became known as the supermarket rapist. Now that the public was aware of these crimes, grocery store management and employees were on high alert. Female shopping alone were offered carryout service to their cars. Some grocery store chains even hired private security guards to patrol parking lots. Police were stumped. This serial rapist had a distinct pattern, except for the areas he chose his victims. He never struck the same place twice. Bakersfield Police Sergeant Alan Zachary said, quote, We just can't put a location on this guy. He's all over town. Hey folks, this is Robert Peterson, the creator and host of the Notorious Bakersfield podcast. This podcast is an independent venture, meaning I'm doing this all on my own without any financial backing. And believe it or not, there's costs involved in producing this show. If you enjoy the Notorious Bakersfield podcast and want to show your support, you can buy me a cup of coffee or two. You can find the link to buy me a coffee in the show notes or go to NotoriousBakersfield.com. There's a link there too. I wanted to also take this opportunity to remind you to follow the Notorious Bakersfield podcast on whichever app you use to listen to podcasts. And while you're there, be sure to take a few seconds to give it a five-star rating. On November 2nd, 1989, Sergio Venegas was at the Red Lion Inn to apply for a job. 
The Red Lion was on Rosedale Highway near the 99 and is now the Doubletree. Venegas was a 29-year-old married man with two children. He contacted the personnel manager for a job application, and the personnel manager told Venegas that she was just leaving to give a tour of the motel to some newly hired employees, and she'd be back in a half hour or 45 minutes. While she was giving this tour, she encountered Venegas in an area of the hotel far from the office. The personnel manager completed the tour and returned to the office. Venegas was waiting for her when she got back. He completed the application and discussed the position he was applying for and left the office at about 11.45 a.m. At noon, a female guest staying at the Red Lion was returning to her room. She was carrying several items, her hands were full, and she unlocked her room's door, entered, and left the door open. She sat the items down inside the room. When she turned around to close the door, a Hispanic male was standing in the doorway. He was holding a knife, and he stepped in and closed the door behind him. The man demanded the woman not look at him. He grabbed a pillow and removed the pillowcase, cut eye holes in it, and placed it over his head. She was sexually assaulted multiple times and tortured. The attacker used his knife to make shallow cuts in the victim's arms. She was tied up with a bedsheet and electrical cords. And before leaving, the assailant took a small amount of money from her purse. The entire ordeal lasted about two hours. Motel guests in neighboring rooms heard the victim's plea for help and notified the Red Lion Inn employees who came to the woman's aid. The victim was taken to the hospital where DNA evidence was recovered. Remember, this was 1989. Linking a person to a crime through DNA evidence was still very new. Because the rapist covered his face with a pillowcase, the victim couldn't give police a very good description of her attacker. The personnel manager informed detectives about the job applicant, Sergio Venegas. She told them he was in the vicinity of the victim's room when she encountered him while giving the tour. She gave the investigators his contact information from his job application. When police questioned Venegas, he denied any involvement in the rape. At first, he declined to give hair, saliva, and blood samples, but then the next day agreed to give hair and saliva samples, but continued to refuse to give blood sample. Detectives eventually obtained a search warrant and got that blood sample. Police also discovered Venegas had a pair of big Nike high-top tennis shoes, the same type of shoes the supermarket rapist wore. These shoes were no longer sold and hadn't been for several years. Their prints matched the prints the rapist left behind at the crime scenes attributed to the supermarket rapist. Shortly after being questioned by detectives for the Red Lion Inn rape, Venegas was arrested for parole violation 
and returned to prison. That was November 1988. In June 1989, six days before he was supposed to be released for the parole violation, the Bakersfield Police Department was notified by the FBI crime lab that Sergio Venegas' DNA matched the DNA evidence collected from the Red Lion rape victim. I should mention here that the seven months while Venegas was incarcerated, the grocery store rape stopped. Assistant DA Lisa Green was emphatic that Sergio Venegas was not only guilty of this rape at the Red Lion Inn, but was also guilty of the supermarket rapes. In November 1992, Sergio Venegas was found guilty for the 1989 rape and assault at the Red Lion Inn. He was sentenced to 65 years in prison. This was the first time in Kern County history that the prosecution and conviction of a defendant was built mainly on DNA evidence. You didn't think this was the end of the story, did you? No. Sergio Venegas appealed his conviction all the way to the California Supreme Court. His defense argued that DNA evidence couldn't and shouldn't be trusted. The California Supreme Court decision was mixed. The high court determined that DNA evidence was reliable. However, in Sergio Venegas' case, the methodology used to calculate the probability of someone else having the same DNA was flawed. So his conviction was overturned, making him eligible for a new trial. At the time of that ruling, District Attorney Ed Jagels vowed to retry Venegas. And this is where the story goes cold. I couldn't find any more stories in the Bakersfield Californian about Sergio Venegas. I don't know if he was ever retried or if he and the district attorney worked out a plea deal. I searched for Sergio Venegas on the Californian Department of Correction and Rehabilitation website and couldn't find him. If he's currently incarcerated by the state of California, he's not showing up. So he's probably free or deceased. I'm waiting for a call back from the Kern County District Attorney's Office to find out what ultimately happened to Venegas. And I will update you if I hear anything more about it between now and the next episode. For reasons I don't know, Kern County prosecutors never tried Sergio Venegas for the assaults credited to the supermarket rapist. I assume they felt the evidence against Venegas for the Red Lion Inn rape was strong enough to win a conviction, and it was. And since he was initially sentenced to 65 years in prison, going after him for the supermarket rapes would have been overkill. Sergio Venegas's a defense attorney strongly denied he was guilty of the supermarket rapes and chastised assistant DA Lisa Green for implicating him for those crimes in her statements to the press. Resources used to research this case, the Bakersfield Californian, the Los Angeles Times, 
caselaw.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Notorious Bakersfield podcast. I will be back next week, next Tuesday, with another Notorious Bakersfield story. Have a good week.